Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Spring Meadows. Happy Sabbath. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. That's one of my favorite songs, so thank you so much. Uh, That is a, a powerful song, a powerful image of Jesus seated on his throne, and that's why we are here. We are here to worship. Every aspect of why we gather, it's about him. It's about Jesus. And so we worship him on his throne, and we praise him for all he's done, who he is, and in what he's done on our behalf. Let's borrow it for a word of prayer as we enter God's word together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are here today because we are here to worship you. Because of who you are, you are the God of the universe. You are seated on your throne, yet you are everywhere. And so, Father, you are sovereign. You alone are worthy to be worshiped. And Father, as we take this time, as we have sung, as we have prayed, now we enter this time in your word. May this also be a time of worship where your heart is touched, where our hearts are lifted up to you because of your goodness to us, but also that we we may be transformed in the process, that we would be transformed in the likeness of Jesus today, we pray. In his name we ask, amen. Rosie Ruiz, if you are a runner and you've been running since the late 70s or early 80s, you may have heard the name before. Rosie Ruiz, Ruiz had run the the New York Marathon that year, actually the year before, and qualified for the Boston Marathon. And Rosie ends up winning the Boston Marathon, not just winning the Boston Marathon, but she set a new world record for the Boston Marathon. She finished in two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. So actually, that was her New York time. She qualified, but her time, she beat that in the Boston by 25 minutes. She actually was the fastest female in all Boston Marathon history, the third fastest female in all marathon history in general. She crushed it. She beat everybody. Everybody was amazed. This person who nobody ever heard about wins the race. She she rises out of nowhere and obliterates the competition. How many of you and us are still in the race today? How many of us are in the race today? Say amen. Amen. If you're here today, if there's breath in your lungs, you're still in the race. If you're still in the race, say amen. Amen. We're all in the race. We're all in it together. And we continue talking about what this race is all about. We've talked about, over the past couple times I've spoken with you, about this race. The three things that keep us from coming out of the race are these. We, we, We give out. We tire out. Because God has called us to run the race with endurance. And that word endurance, as we learned, is patient endurance. We tire out because of the delay of the time we are running in this life. And then we give up because of the difficulties of life. And that's the endurance part. When difficulty arises, it is hard to endure. And so we drop out of the race. But thirdly, as we'll talk about today, we also give in. What is giving in? We, we give out. We tire out, we give up, but we also give in. Giving in is when we compromise to finish the race. To compromise to finish the race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Paul is talking about the heroes of faith that he had just mentioned the chapter before. He says, because of this great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily 
ensnares us. We're going to pause there today and focus for just a little bit. 12.1 says, in the words of Paul, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. What does it mean to lay aside every weight and every sin? A lot of times we think, oh, it's just talking about sin. That word in Greek literally means to, to lay aside, but then push out of reach. It's not just to say, hey, I'm going to put this beside me. No, it's to put it beside you, but then push it away so you cannot reach it again. Lay aside everything, Paul is saying, that hinders us in the race. But he separates it. He says, every weight or hindrance and every sin that entangles us. Sometimes we jump over the the weight and the hindrance and we go right to the sin part. They're closely related, but they're different. I want to spend a few moments today talking with you about the weight. Because I believe if we can't figure out what the weight is all about, we'll never be able to figure out what the sin part is all about and how we can gain victory through Jesus Christ in both. What is the weight? Where is Paul coming from? The imagery that Paul is using here, by the way, is the imagery still of the Olympic athletes in his day. There in Greece and Rome, when they would, when they would run in these games, just like we just finished up here in, the United, here in Tokyo, and our team was there through the United States, they would have various events, as we've been talking about. But Paul uses imagery of casting off every weight. What's he talking about? Every hindrance. So that's why I, I don't run. I, I do run a little bit, but I'm not a professional runner. Maybe I'm scared about falling. I don't know, just like on the bike. But no, maybe, maybe the, the outfits aren't as cool. I, I have a, as, as, you've, as you've seen, guys' running shorts are, are fairly short. I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to wear some of those yet. I don't know. I don't know if I have the legs for it. But, but if, if those make you cringe, think about this. In, in Paul's day, it was even worse. Because this whole imagery of casting off everything literally meant everything. Remember, they had togas on, and so what they would do is they would not just get down to a lean weight to run, they'd get the excess weight off, but when they're ready to run in the race in the Olympics, they would cast their toga off to the side with nothing on but a smile. And so you can imagine it was not an event for the family. We couldn't watch the Olympics today with a, good, with a clear conscience in Paul's day. But they would have nothing on because anything on them they would see as a hindrance, even the toga. And so they would run with the minimal, which was nothing, because they didn't want to have baggage to slow them down. You know, we've come here today with baggage. Every one of us have come here today with weights in our life. Baggage in our life that slows us down in this race. And I want to pause in this because it's very important to understand what Paul's talking about. There's this imagery of baggage, of, of things, these weights that slow us down, that keep us from progressing in the race. What kind of baggage have we brought? Each one of us, including myself, we all have come today with baggage. Remember, I've said this before, the Bible is even a story about a real God and real people who are trying to be, learn how to be real with him with real issues. We've all come with baggage today. There's two kinds of baggage we bring. There is the internal baggage. There's there's spiritual baggage and emotional baggage that we've dealt with in our life, that we're dealing with in our life. Then there is the, the physical, the outward baggage, the external baggage. And you say, well, how can we have spiritual baggage? If you think about spirituality, 
as Pastor B shared a few a couple weeks ago, many times we can be drinking from the wrong fountain spiritually. Maybe we've been fed something that is not in the right fountain spiritually. And so we have allowed this to ingrain itself into our hearts and minds, just like in Jesus' day. And it's become so burdensome, this religion that we are living and have been taught, that it's no longer a joy. And so many times we're scarred, we're ready to drop out of the race and give up, because religion itself has been given to us with a lot of baggage, just like the people in Jesus' day. Many of us have come with religious baggage. Many of us have come today with emotional baggage. Things in our past, things in our present, things that we're dealing with, things that are so deep and hurtful that it's hard to even talk about or admit they're even a reality in our life. Then there's the external baggage that we all have carried in our life that we still carry today. Things like our commitments, our responsibilities, managing relationships, our home, our family, even our belongings, all these things are weighing in us. It's baggage that we have that slows us down and keeps us from continuing in the race. Are you overwhelmed? Don't be. Because it can be and seem overwhelming. One of the, the most important books that I've read in, in recent years has been The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro. And he talks about this whole idea of baggage within the body of Christ. You know, one thing he says about, he calls these things shadows. And, and what a shadow is, it's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who we are. It's the things in our life that we don't want to talk about. It's those untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that largely are unconscious, but strongly influence and shape our behaviors. It's that stuff underneath the surface. He, he likens it to like an iceberg. What people see, a lot of times what we see is that tip that's sticking out of the water. But underneath the water is where all the other stuff's going on. And even we don't recognize what's happening up top here a lot of times because we haven't taken the time to understand what's happening beneath the surface. That's what we're talking about, baggage. Friends, and you're saying, well, this sounds very humanistic. We're not here to listen to psychology. But I, I want to share with you that there's something very biblical and profound about this. Jesus himself shares the, the importance of understanding how he created us, how we are wired when it comes to baggage. If we don't understand this, we cannot move forward fully with him. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, Jesus was questioned and he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick him. How does Jesus respond? Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. Jesus responded, love the Lord your God. You know this with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as who? As yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus answers wisely. But notice what he says there in verse 30. He says, how, do we, how we love God. What is the true meaning of loving God? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And sometimes we've stopped there because in another version or another place, that's all it says. But notice what Jesus continues. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What's it say? With all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. When God created us in his image, he created us more than just a being who has a spiritual life. He created us as a holistic being that also has other elements to us that all 
work together. We as Adventist Christians believe strongly that we are a holistic being. In mind, body, and character, we're reminded many times in the writings of Ellen White that we are a holistic being. Everything is connected. Everything affects other things in our life. Every element of our life, every element of our being is closely connected. So when Jesus is talking about how we are wired, how we love God with with all of who we are. He says we love God with all of our heart, which signifies in the the mind of his readers and us today, with all of our feeling. And then he says our mind, which signifies our thoughts, our intellect. And then our soul, which signifies our identity, who we are. And is is our identity, is he asking, filled with a knowledge and a peace and a connection with God. At the very core of who we are, Is that where we find our spiritual fulfillment? And then he says, with our strength, which is our energy, our physical being. And so Jesus is basically saying, love God with every ounce of who you are. All these dynamics and elements who I created you to be is how you love God fully. I want to share with you something today. And I wrestle this myself. But if we don't understand the idea of the baggage that we carry... We can never truly love God unreservedly, nor can we love other people effectively. Jesus says to love God with all these things, every ounce of our being. There's a few principles I want to share today as we look. You know, as we look at this idea of what's happening, I'm reminded this past week, my, uh, my car, I mentioned a couple things about my car now and again, it's usually never good, is it? Uh, my, my car started overheating again. I, I replaced the radiator about a year ago because it was leaking. It was an, it's an older car. So replaced the radiator, got it all hooked up, working great. And then recently, it just started increasing in the temperature gauge. And when that happens, it's scary, right? You're driving, the temp starts going up, you're waiting for the engine to blow. You're freaking out like I was. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I pull, you pull over, you let it cool down, you turn the AC off, whatever you, it takes, and, and it, hopefully it comes down. So I got out, I checked everything. All the fluids were fine. The oil was fine. The radiator fluid was all, everything visually looked great. I had no idea what was going on. And so I let it cool down, kept driving, still the same thing happens again. Well, eventually I, I bring it to the mechanic because I couldn't keep doing this long term. And he looks at everything, he says, yep, no, everything looks good. But he said, one thing that we found out is that you have an issue inside your engine. He said, it is your, your thermostat. I was like, oh, didn't think about that. He said, when your thermostat's not working, right, it throws everything else off. It's not going to send the signal to the radiator and all the different components to cool your engine off appropriately. That's your problem. So he replaces this $8 part for much more than $8, if I would have only known. And then things are working well again. Peter Scazzaro also shares some, some concepts because we have to ask the question that if we all have this baggage, how can we run this race despite the baggage that we bring, that we have in our lives? Spiritual, emotional, and even external physical baggage that we have. Because we're all still in the race. If we all believe in Jesus, we're in the race. If we're all walking with him, we're in the race. But sometimes we feel like we're ready to give up because the baggage seems too heavy and too immense, and too insurmountable. 
And so sometimes we're just slowed down and we're ready just to quit. How do we move forward? Six items, very, I'm going to just briefly go through these. Six areas that allow us to drop the baggage and continue the race. Number one, look beneath the surface. Number one, look beneath the surface. If the only thing that we really look at or understand, and sometimes we don't even see that, is what's happening on the tip of the iceberg of our life. We must also remember there's a lot of things happening beneath the surface. And many times we don't ask the questions, why? Why am I responding this way to my spouse? Why am I reacting this way to the situation at work? Why am I wanting this, even though I know it's probably not the best thing for me to get, but I keep going after it? We don't ask the questions, why? The problem with many of us, including myself, is we don't take the time to ask the questions in our own life. We're so busy moving forward, trying to move forward in the race, we, stop, we don't stop to pause to try to understand what's happening beneath the surface. And there's always stuff happening beneath the surface. Jesus was a master of asking the questions, why? He went right to the heart. He didn't go with the surface stuff. Jesus was constantly interacting with people and going right down to the heart of what's happening beneath the surface, the bottom of the iceberg. Think about it. The rich young ruler, he's saying, hey, I do all this good stuff. I do all the right stuff. And Jesus said, okay, give all your stuff to the poor. Right to the bottom, underneath the surface. Because he was asking the question, why? Why are you allowing everything else to rule your life except me? He doesn't beat around the bush. He goes, boom, right to the bottom, right beneath the surface. Or the woman at the well, as she's there at midday, he asks the question in in so many words, why are you here at noon? Who are you hiding from? Why are you here? And he asks the question about her husband and goes, boom, right beneath the surface of what she's dealing with, that stuff that she doesn't want to talk about or she's been hiding because it's affecting everything else in her life. Jesus always goes beneath the surface. Even even Peter. As Peter had fallen, he he had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is trying to restore him. He goes, Peter... Do you love me more than these? He goes right to the bottom of, of, the, of, the, of the picture, right beneath the surface of Peter's life. Peter, am I everything to you? Then feed my sheep. He doesn't waste time with just talking about peripheral things. Peter, boom. This is what's happening beneath the surface. And this is things that I need to deal with in your life. Jesus always goes right to the heart of the matter. He always sees what's happening beneath the surface, and he goes right there because he knows if he doesn't deal with that, everything above the surface is not going to matter. We'll continue on these things that we don't understand why. He always goes to the heart of the matter. Number two, break the power of the past. Look beneath the surface, break the power of the past. As we look at our lives, all of us in this baggage that we have, we're dealing with stuff from many different angles, many different places, Sometimes it is hurts we've had. Sometimes it's injuries, illnesses. Sometimes it is our family of origin that have hurt us and caused all sorts of scars and, and unhealthy behaviors in our life. And we, I know we, we, we can't blame our families, but everything in our life has affected and shaped who we are. But here's the good news. We cannot let that keep us from running the race. Why? Because in Christ there is a new birth just like he said to Nicodemus, he is right beneath the surface. In order to, to be my disciple, in order to have the kingdom, you have to be born again. 
Nicodemus is not just talking about all these niceties and who I am. I'm going right to the heart of what your issue is. You need to take, let the pride go and humble yourself and, and be born again. Submit to me. Submit to God. And so there are things in our life, there's a new birth experience, and when there's new roots that are needed, through those, Jesus will produce new fruit in our life. We do not need to be chained by the, the things of our past. Break the power of the past. I don't have time to go into these. This is for another time. But thirdly, live in brokenness and vulnerability. This is a hard one. All these are difficult. How do we let go of the baggage of, that we carry today? Live in brokenness and vulnerability. That means humility and honesty. And you say, well, when we talk about brokenness, when we think about brokenness, and we think about uh, things like, like vulnerability, it sounds like weaknesses. It sounds like things that we don't want to talk about or deal with. Why? Because to admit that we're broken, to admit that we have problems, is to admit that we don't have it all together. And we all want to put forth that we do have it all together, even in church. But the reality is that we don't. None of us have it all together. Because we're real people with real issues who are learning to be real with God. And you say, I'm not sure about that. But look at the life of Paul, for example. As Paul first entered his relationship with Jesus, what did Jesus have to do? Boom, he blinds him, he knocks him down. Why? Because, because Paul, who was Saul at the time, was full of what? He was full of pride, and he was full of arrogance. And so Paul was the opposite of what we're talking about. He was proud and defensive, instead of broken and vulnerable. What happens in Paul's life? Looking even through his writings, we see a progression in Paul's servitude to Jesus. Paul goes from a Pharisee who is proud and defensive, and immediately when he is converted, when he meets Jesus, something happens in his life. And his writings reveal us time and time again. Paul's growth in Christ parallels his increasing sense of weakness and sinfulness and brokenness and vulnerability. As Paul gets to know Jesus more and more, he continues to write to his churches. And in 1 Corinthians, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Then he says, later on in 1 Timothy, I am the worst of all sinners. And then he goes even further. He says that I am weak. He has a thorn in his flesh, and he asked God to take away three times, but he would not. And God says, my grace is sufficient. And then Paul finally brings it all together in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he realizes and he admits and he makes the statement, he says, I've realized that when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. That doesn't sound right. But the reality is, in the kingdom of God, it is the exact reality. In God's kingdom, it is opposite of the world's kingdom where strength and all these different things that we hold in high regard are held in low regard. In Jesus' kingdom, we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize our brokenness. And we're honest and vulnerable about it. And it's only then, when we admit and we recognize these things, 
that God's strength can be perfect in our weakness. As long as we're full of ourselves and still going ahead in our own strength, his strength can never be manifest in our life. It's only when we have a reality check that God's strength will be a reality working in us. Brokenness and vulnerability. There, there's a story about a, a water carrier in India I'm going to share with you. He used to he used two large pots for his task. He suspended a pole across his neck and attached a pot to each end of the pole. One of the pots had a big crack in it, while the other pot was perfect. The perfect pot always delivered a full portion of water from the stream of the master's house, while the cracked pot always arrived only half full each day. For two years, this water carrier made the same journey. The perfect pot became proud of its accomplishments. It's an allegory, obviously. The cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection and miserable that it was not able to accomplish only half of what, had been done, what he had been made to do. Finally, one day by the stream, the cracked pot spoke. He spoke to his owner about his bitter failure. He says, I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize that I've only been able to deliver half my water to your house. There's a crack in my side which causes the water to leak out. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value from your efforts. Then the water carrier replied, smiling, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. On that trip from the stream, the cracked pot looked around. Did you notice there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? The master commented, that's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we passed these spots, you watered them. Now for two years, I've been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, I would not have this beauty to grace his house. And isn't it wonderful that's how God works in us? Because we are broken, and when we recognize that brokenness, it is only then that his strength can be made perfect in our weakness. It is only then that he can make something beautiful out of the brokenness of our life. You know, if we look at it in reality, right now, and Pastor Alex shared this with me, that I didn't realize there's Olympics happening right now. It's not just the Olympics that ended a couple weeks ago. But right now, there is an Olympic game happening in the same place in Tokyo. It's the Paralympics, which is the Olympics where, where people with disabilities compete. And they're physical disabilities. So it could be amputees, it could be a paralysis, it could be blindness, deafness, whatever it may be. But this group of 400 athletes from 23 countries are competing right now. If we look at the reality, if we're comparing ourselves as, as the body of Christ, we mirror much more what's happening right now in Tokyo than what was happening a couple weeks ago. Because all of us have our shadows, our handicaps, our brokenness. We're all competing, we're all running, we're all going together. But it's only when we admit our weakness that God helps us and strengthens us and carries us through the race by his power to the goal, to the prize. We cannot get there alone. Next, first of all, look beneath the surface, break the power of the past, live in brokenness and vulnerability. And then, fourthly, receive the gift of limits. You know, many times today we look at our life and we talk about the external baggage. 
our responsibilities, the things that we're dealing with, uh, managing relationships, our homes, our belongings, our commitments, all these things that have, that have bunched up on us. I'm always amused looking back at, at what people thought the world would look like about 60 years ago. In the 1950s and 60s, you had these, uh, these tomorrow things at Disney. There's a house set up there that you would see the conveniences that in the future would make life so much easier. And so we have far beyond what they even imagined 50 years ago today, which, is, which should make life so much easier. And so the question is, why are we so much more stressed and overtaxed and burnt out than we ever were? If life is supposed to be easier, why is it so much more difficult? Why are we burning out? Why is depression and anxiety at a triple the level it was 30, 40 years ago? Because we're overloaded, we're burdened, we're weighed down. We've taken the efficiency of life and we've just put more stuff on our plates. When we talk about the gift of limits, it's recognizing that God created us with a plan in mind and his plan is not for us to be burnt out, to be overwhelmed, to drop out of the race. Jesus continually talks about this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Turn there with me if you would. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus' words speak to this matter in our life. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's talking about the weight that so easily besets us, the thing that weighs us down. He says, and I, I will give you rest. There's only one thing that can give us rest, that can give us balance and those margins we need in life. It's Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not like your boss or the person in your life who's always on you. I am different. In me you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Is light. We can only find rest and peace in Jesus. Amen? In him we receive the gift of limits. But we also have to recognize that when God created us to be who we are, he's created us with a purpose. And many times we've been spending all of our energy and all of our time trying to live everybody else's purposes for us. You can't do it. You can't live up to everybody's expectations and not burn out and give up. It'll never happen. You'll always drop out of the race. That's why we must discover who Jesus created you to be. With the gifts that he's given you and the purpose for which he has called you, and then and only then can we live a life where we experience his peace. What's he say? Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Are you tired today? Are you overwhelmed? Are you overtaxed? Are you stressed out? Are you ready just to give up? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. You will find rest for your souls. That rest comes from finding the rule of limits that God has placed for each one of us. Learn from Jesus. In Jesus' ministry, he even called his disciples, hey, we need to come apart and rest a while. Maybe some of us need to come apart and rest for just a little bit. Take a break with Jesus. Take some time to recalibrate, recuperate, 
re-energize. Work, re-energize. Work, re-energize. But sometimes we don't have that second part in our life. Next, embrace grieving and loss. You know, half of the 150 psalms are called laments. It all sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? But it's not. David, as he's writing the Psalms, half the time he's in a situation in his life where he's either running for his life, something bad is happening, and he's writing to God honestly from his heart. He's, he's being open and transparent. He's admitting his, his brokenness and vulnerability. God, I need you. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I am under the gun. People are after my life. Help me. There's nothing wrong with admitting things are not all okay. We have to recognize that life is not always okay. And sometimes we have to embrace loss and heartache and difficult things in our life because we're going to experience them. But we can't sweep them under the rug because when we do, it goes under the, under the surface, into the iceberg. And it's going to come out in different ways in your life, in unhealthy ways. We need to take time to grieve and, and, and acknowledge when something is lost so that we can hand those things over to Jesus. If you've never acknowledged and admitted it, we can't hand them over. We hold on to them. We hide them. Maybe it would do all of us, including myself, a good thing to take a day retreat and journal and pray about significant events in our past that perhaps we have not grieved and been able to hand over to the Lord. We've never experienced what Jesus' promises is to all of us in Matthew 5, for blessed are those who mourn. We think that's just for the people who are losing, who are in a bad situation. That's not me you're saying. But it's really, it's all of us. Blessed are those who mourn. Who is it? It's us. Because they will be what? Comforted. There are things in our life that we need to recognize so we can find the comfort of God in Christ. But until we recognize and admit those things and hand them to Jesus, we'll never experience it. Whatever it may be, loss, heartache, hardship, things in our past, blessed are those who mourn. In doing so, it does something. It allows us to love other people better. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm heading as we're, as we're closing here. As we recognize the things in our life, the things of our past, our brokenness, and the limits that we have in our life, and even grieving and loss, the things that we wish never happened in our life, it helps us all these things. Remember, God makes everything beautiful in his time. Remember, God takes the negative and he always brings something positive through it. All things work to the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe the promise? Absolutely. Because God is always working. He is always working on our behalf for our good. He's also working through us for other people's good. And unless we recognize these things in our life, we will never be able to truly minister and love other people effectively. We will never be able to empathize. When somebody is hurting, if we haven't recognized the hurt in our life, we can, we can have sympathy, we can feel bad for them, but we'll never truly be able to love them by coming to them and being present with them, to putting ourselves in the place with them, walking alongside them. That is where God calls us to be. That is where God calls us 
and the last point is to make incarnation our model for loving well. Friends, we are wounded healers. <laughs> Each one of us have come today called by God to be ministers, intercessors, but we are wounded, we are broken. Whether we want to admit it or not, we've come today with flaws, with failures, with areas where God is still working in our life, every single one of us. We are wounded healers. And I want to remind us here at Spring Meadows, we have adopted, we have agreed upon the fact that we are a group of imperfect people serving a perfect God. Right? That, that, that's our motto. That's our, our statement. We're a group of imperfect people worshiping an Im- a perfect God. That's what we're talking about today. It's being able to recognize those things in our life, recognizing our need in God's provision. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. You'll never be able to let go of the baggage in your life, the stuff that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us. The gospel tells us that we are way more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to believe. (laughs) We've all sinned and fall short. When we look at Jesus, we see ourselves in our true light, sinful, broken. Yet the beautiful thing is we are more accepted and loved than we ever dared hoped, despite that. You are loved, you are accepted, not because you deserve it, but because God's grace declares it because he's loved you with an everlasting love. The gospel transforms us. Jesus transforms all of us above and below the surface. And what results is that we become better lovers of God and better lovers of other people. As we're running the race, the litmus test is not about just running it and getting to the end. It's how well we love God. It's how well we love other people as a result of the fruits of what God is doing in us because of what he's done for us. I want to close with a promise. The promise of Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 3 through 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not even esteem him. Jesus came down in the incarnation not just to sympathize but to empathize to walk in our shoes to experience our grief our pain surely he has borne our griefs and here's the promise and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him And here's the key. It's by his stripes that we are healed. We find healing and wholeness in Jesus. God may use many avenues to help you find that as he's directing you in your life. But ultimately, it's always him. He is always the only one who will help you, who will allow you to drop the baggage that's been hindering you in your life, me and my life the externally internal stuff, it's all about Jesus. And so I just want to ask each one of us, and I ask myself, what is it that God is calling us to let go and hand to him today? What baggage have we been lugging around for so long 
that we're ready to drop out of the race, that we just need to say, God, I can't do this anymore. You need to take it. If there's something in your life, because I know there's stuff in my life, as we bow our heads just now for a moment, just raise your hand to God, and God knows exactly what that burden is, that baggage in your life, whether it's commitments, whether it's a lack of balance, an overwhelming amount of stress, relationships, your family, your stuff that you're trying to manage, or maybe it's stuff in your life underneath the surface that you're recognizing and maybe are still in the process of recognizing. But you want to say, God, just take this. I can't bear it anymore. I need you to take it so I can continue on the race with you. Let's bow our heads together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, today we come before you broken and vulnerable. We recognize our sinfulness. We recognize that apart from Jesus, we are lost. But in Christ, we are perfect. In you, we are made whole. And Father, we recognize the baggage that we carry, you never meant us to carry. But Lord, you know the baggage in each heart, in each life here. And I pray that you would give us the strength to just hand it to you. Take it from us. We don't even have the willpower to give it to you. Just take it, Father, we pray. And bring healing and wholeness, Father. Because your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Help us to find the rest for our souls that you have designed us for, that you have called us to. Not because it is in us, because it is in Jesus. And so today, Lord, we place all these things in your hands and ask it in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. church. Please stand with us all as we sing our last song, sing about the goodness of our Lord and Savior.
Unfortunately, she was stripped of it seven days later because it was recognized, it was brought to the attention of the officials that about a half mile from the end, Rosie jumps into the race. That's why she won. She cheated. She cut in and won. But you know, as Paul says, that we need to run the race, but run it as one to finish the race. There's no shortcuts. There's no compromise. It's only one way. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, keeping your eyes on Jesus. He's the author, the finisher of your faith. There's no way around that. He is your coach. He is there urging you on, strengthening you, calling you forward, pressing you forward alongside us. We move forward with Jesus. And he's called us to go with him today. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, we recognize that sometimes we might compromise what is important for what is expedient. But Lord, your way is always the only way. 
And through Jesus, you've given us victory. You've allowed us the promise of finishing the race with him. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on him, being strengthened, not just by his example, but by his presence, by his filling through the Holy Spirit. You can accomplish your will in and through us as well. Bless us this week, we pray. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. As a reminder, we will have some elders up front here to pray with you. If you need special prayer, like to come and just have a prayer for anything in your life, there'll be elders up front here. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Stay safe.